Here's something to keep in mind before you start to complain. When I complain, I'm not helping anything. I'm actually making it worse when I complain. Because number one, the issue isn't solved. And number two, you're making it harder. Because if you saw the issue and you have the solution, then the right thing to do is to bring up the issue and offer your solution and begin to pray about it. But when's the last time complaining and murmuring ever led to anything productive? Now, somebody might have responded to your murmuring and complaining with a productive decision, but it wasn't because of you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You If you're a believer in Christ, no doubt it's your desire to be used by God. But what kind of person does God use? We're about to find out through a study in 2 Kings 12 here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll learn, among other things, that God wants us to be flexible, filled with the Spirit and wisdom, and faithful. Here's Pastor Ed with more. I want to see the lost saved. I know you do too. And, and so we aren't... We aren't in any competition with churches in town. Uh, if another church in town is growing 10 times faster than us, we only should have one response. That's awesome. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful that churches are growing. I wish all the churches in town would grow. I, I wish we would have overflow services and multiple buildings and all kinds of things happening in the city. I, I wish on the, on the way into church on Sunday, there were 100 times more cars on the road. I wish there was more people out not watering their lawn or mowing their lawn, but getting ready for church, man, and heading out and worshiping. And I, I love that. But we have to be flexible. Sometimes God's going to increase, we rejoice. Sometimes God's going to decrease, we rejoice. It's his church. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We need to be flexible. Pastor Chuck Smith used to teach us and it's so valid, he would say, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. And when you're so rigid and unbendable, you're just going to snap at the latest issue. And, and as, you, you know, as you see the life of our church, stuff's always going on. Um, even in our staff meeting today, as we were going all the logistics of what this weekend's going to look like, I mean, if any of us chose to be all rigid in that meeting, we would have snapped by that meeting. It was two and a half hours of all this stuff, you, you know, and we do all this stuff in the background so that when you show up to something, you don't need to worry about anything but serving Jesus. We'll take care of all the stuff in the background and even take care of stuff while the events are going. But, you know, we're thinking of, man, those 100 pastors are going to be here on, on Friday morning. We're thinking about all those young people that want to learn how to study the Bible. We're thinking about making sure this is in order and that's in order and, and just being open and flexible. I think the words were flexible, observant, and ready to serve. And, and if you're not flexible, then serving God's going to be very difficult for you. Because God can be very unpredictable as he leads us in ministry. And so here they are going up and down. 
And as they're facing this problem, and this murmuring arises, the murmuring primarily came from an inflexibility because it would have been easy for others to jump in and help instead of complain. And, and that's always a barrier to serving God is when you're complaining, you are not helping the situation. I don't see anybody writing that down. Write that down. That should be, that should be a new tattoo. When I complain, I'm not helping anything. I'm actually making it worse when I complain. Because number one, the issue isn't solved. And number two, you're making it harder. Because if you saw the issue and you have the solution, then the right thing to do is to bring up the issue and offer your solution and begin to pray about it. But when's the last time complaining and murmuring ever led to anything productive? Now, somebody might have responded to your murmuring and complaining with a productive decision, but it wasn't because of you. If you would have come in love and mercy, hey, you know, I just heard over here that the widows are arguing about each other. I think, um, you know, if we ask the guys in the church, I bet you we could find people to help. That's very different than, I can't believe this church. No, these apostles, what happened? They were so good with Jesus, but now that Jesus is gone, they're not even paying attention to us, and we're being neglected, and nobody cares. And it was even a racial issue that needed to be dealt with with this, between the Hellenists and, you know, between the Hebrews and the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And so there was a language issue, a racial issue, and murmuring and complaining doesn't help. It makes things worse. Number three. God uses those men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that uh, here in verse 3. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. It also can be translated controlled by the Holy Spirit. This isn't referring to an emotional experience or some outward demonstrative action of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of a person that's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Someone that is recognized as a man or a woman living out the fruit of the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And the reason so many of our endeavors and attempts to do the work of God fail is because we try to do them in the energy of our own strength, our own flesh. And so often the church is trying to do the work of God through earthly and worldly means and it won't see God's success. And we have to be careful, especially us as leaders, to make sure our definitions of success remain in the realm of the spirit and not the flesh. Success in God's eyes, really if I had to reduce it to one word, it's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. You know, for a pastor, he might, he might look at his church and say, well, you know, there's only 20 people here and, and I'm just a failure. But God's ordained 20 people to be there. And he came and he served them well. And in God's eyes, he's an absolute success. You know, think of Jeremiah. If Jeremiah, if he looked at his life, the prophet Jeremiah, and he looked at his life and came to the conclusion that he was a failure, he would be wrong. Because as we read the book of Jeremiah today, even though he didn't, have a one, he didn't have one convert from his preaching, not one convert, imagine that, preaching his whole life with strong prophetic word, anointed by God, speaking on behalf of God, but nobody responded positively, I think we would all be tempted to think we were failures, but in God's eyes, he was 100% successful. He did exactly what God wanted him to do, 
and the results are always left to God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's who God uses. It's not by might, Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by might, not by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by our human endeavors. As smart as we can be or how much knowledge we might have. As a matter of fact, the danger of knowledge is that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, makes a person prideful. It has the potential to make a person prideful where you have a little bit more knowledge than someone else and you want everyone to know you have more knowledge than someone else. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but it's love that builds up. And so as we're gaining knowledge, reading the Bible, taking courses, maybe going to school, we have to always temper it by love. Knowledge always must flow through love in order to edify, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number four, we're also to be filled with wisdom. Filled with wisdom. In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Wisdom is the natural byproduct of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the study of his word, of the Bible. Wisdom comes as God's word fills your life. Wisdom comes as you learn by God how to use the knowledge that he's given you. So for example, um, in John 3, 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not uh, see the kingdom of God. That's knowledge. So you, great, you have that in verse and you have that knowledge. In order to walk in wisdom you would take that verse and say, am I born again? Am I born again? Because if, if I'm not born again, then I'm on the opposite side of what Jesus is teaching. And so then you respond to the gospel and you're born again. Another step of wisdom would be, are you born again? Because now you're using the scriptures. You're not just saying, I know how to be saved. Really? I know exactly what Jesus meant. And this is what it was like to be a Hebrew man living in the first century. And these are the exact clothes that Jesus wore. And his beard was exactly this long. And I know how it was when he was speaking in Nicodemus. And I was there. I got a drone footage of that. And I know everything about the Hebrew word and the little jot and the little tail. I'm so smart. But are you born again, bro? No, but I'm smart. <laughs> and knowledge is like that. We need to be filled with wisdom. There's this movement of fresh among us today of this pseudo-intellectualism where you just want to sound like you know a little bit more than someone else when the meat of the Bible is life change. And if you come to the Bible over and over and over again and you leave your prayer closet over and over and over again and you are unchanged, you are just living in the realm of knowledge in the flesh. It's only knowledge in the flesh and it puffs you up. And I don't mean knowledge where you can make your argument better. And, and I mean, because I've sat down with people and they're, they're so much smarter than me. I have no problem acknowledging that. So much smarter, so much well, so well educated. And they've got a pet doctrine. That's how all they do is study this doctrine, this doctrine. So I sit down with them and they're just going to, they just unload on me. And, and I have to say, there's a part of me like, man, I... I don't spend like 40 hours a week studying that one doctrine. Like I'm at the hospital visiting people. I'm, I'm with staff meeting. I'm preparing for pastors. Like I got, I can't spend 40, 50 hours and I'll just walk away going, well, you know, I just don't believe what you believe. And, uh, and then I walk away going, man, I feel so dumb. 
But then by the time I get home, it's like the Lord says, it's okay, Ed, if you're dumb. You keep doing what I called you to do. <laughs> it's okay. Because if I stay dumb in the flesh, then I can be really wise in the spirit. And that's the same with you. You've got to be filled with wisdom. You, you've got to live out the word, not just know it. I know you, you're adding to this, you know, in Stephen's great message, you, you, later on in the book of Acts, you could see, because he's one of the guys that was chosen here, you could see what wealth of the Bible was in this man and how on the spot he was able to use it in a way that pricked the hearts and brought his own martyrdom. We need wisdom, especially with dealing with people. When you're dealing with people, hurting people, people that need counsel, people that need you in their lives, a situation like this where there's some kind of conflict in the church and you're the tool that God wants to use, they don't need your knowledge. They need God's wisdom. And you and I just need to be filled with wisdom, open to the Spirit. Number five, we skipped it, but I want to come back to it. Number five, you need to be a man or a woman of a good reputation. A good reputation. What does your life look like to others? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 says, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are on the outside. The idea here is that we need to be a witness as much as we need to witness. Our lives need to verify what we say is on our lips. The greatest enemy of the church today, it's been said, is the church. So many contradictions going on among us in the body of Christ. When we fall into sin, God forgives us, but also remember that we lose our reputation. Like, I, I, God is quick to forgive. Others, not so much. You lose credibility with someone. It takes a long time, if not forever, to build back that trust. Trust is the glue that keeps us together and helps us deliver the word of God into your life. Not only does sin hurt the heart of God, but it also places doubts in the hearts of those around us. Like, like the prophet Nathan said to David, he, David told Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You will not die. However, listen to what Nathan says, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've given occasion for enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. One of the topics that that I talk, I share with, and I expect the pastors to share with those that serve with them, is the topic of gossip and confidentiality, because confidentiality is such an important uh, ingredient in relationship building. It has the very essence of trust. Uh, if people can't trust you, uh, and they don't trust you, then you'll never be able to affect their life. And, and broken trust is very difficult. And, and so confidence, confidentiality comes from the word confidence. And it simply just means that when someone shares something with you, they have confidence in you that you won't tell anyone else. You know, except for the sake of things that need to be told. Like if you confess some, something, uh, you share with something that needs to be reported to the police. You know, we're going to report it to the police. Or something that needs to be dealt with uh, with the law of something with a child or something. We're not going to keep that in confidence. We're going to uh, involve the right authorities. Um, so confidentiality is more along the lines of personal relationships. And then if, that's why, you know, when somebody gets taken advantage of, they call that person that did it a con man. Have you heard that phrase? Why? Because that man gained confidence to take advantage of another person. And it's the exact opposite in the church. What's your reputation like? 
And so when we talk about that, the way that we summarize that whole conversation is, says, do you know what confidentiality means? We have that. And then the, the summary of that question is, if we asked your friends, is so-and-so a gossip, what would they say? Because that's really the essence. And you really know that you have a proclivity toward gossip. This is just a side note in terms of being filled with wisdom and a good reputation. You know that you have a bent toward gossip when people come to you sharing gossip all the time. You know you have a proclivity toward gossip when you're surrounded with people that gossip to you. You know, to me, uh, I saw this quote once. It said something like, I'm not interested what somebody told you about me. I'm not interested what they said about me. I'm only interested why they were comfortable telling you. Why in our relationship, I thought it was a great quote, why in our relationship somebody that wants to destroy my character or wants to destroy my life will come to you and be comfortable? Why are they comfortable around you to talk about me? Chew on that one for a while. That's like a nugget. Like think about your relationships. Why, why would someone be so comfortable to hear gossip about you? Why aren't we just shutting it down and pointing them to the Lord and, and demanding that they repent? Don't you think gossip would stop pretty quickly? But here's what happens, you know, in order to retain some kind of, you know, well, what, what will they think about me? Or I might lose a friend. I don't, I don't need to be surrounded with so-called friends that gossip and live in sin. Number six, God uses the person that's faithful, the person that does what they're called, what they've been asked to do. Here's men filled with wonderful spiritual qualities, distributing clothes to, to complaining widows. I mean, these are men that are going to be raised up to high levels of ministry and responsibility. And what are they doing? They're ministering to complaining widows. Why? Because faithfulness is essential. They could have just said, I don't want this. I'm not doing this. I'm called to greater things. I'm called to be a teacher, an evangelist, a missionary. You could almost hear it. I am not called to give out clothes. You laugh, but I tell you, man, I've met many, many people. Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, I just think I'm called to the ministry. Where do you want me to go? Well, I think they need some help out in the parking lot picking up trash. And while their voices, and I've never had anyone change their voice, their face sure does change. <laughs> Pick up trash? Okay. <laughs> and yet... If we don't pick up the trash, who's going to do it? If we don't take out the trash, is there like only a certain group of people that's qualified that it should be taken? Like, we're not the world where we work our way up. We're the church where we work our way down. That's what Jesus said. The way up is actually down. So that picking up trash is just as essential as teaching a Bible study in the realm of faithfulness. And you go, well, Ed, what... You know, who am I going to meet picking up trash? I don't know, but people cross our parking lot all the time. People hop the fence all the time. People are smoking dope right on the, right, right over here. You come early on Sunday morning, all the little vials of alcohol and stuff that gets thrown all over the property. There are people all over the property all the time. And you might just meet them if you pick up trash. Or you mop, or you pick up you know, leaves or whatever else that God would have us to do. Here they are ministering to complaining ladies. It could be the same complaining men. It doesn't matter. It's not I'm not called. It's God, what do you have me to do? 
I'm ready to serve you. Not trying to get out of things, but rather looking for more things to do. And when I'm asked to do something, I do it. That's faithfulness. It's what every parent wants from their kids. Amen? Anybody? Amen? We should be teaching this downstairs. Every parent wants from their kids faithfulness. Go clean your room. That does not mean hide everything under the bed and in the closet. That's not what it means. We, every parent wants faithfulness from their kids. Every pastor wants faithfulness under the Lord. Every leader wants to be faithful. We need to be faithful. Some have aspirations for great things. They want to be pastors and teachers and church planners and such. But they don't want to teach kids or take care of little things. They want to be great and mighty missionaries, but they have a hard time going across the street to share the gospel with their neighbor. Let me just say, those of you that have great aspirations for being a missionary, it will not get, if you can't share the gospel with your neighbor, it ain't going to get easier when you move to another country and you have a different culture, all alone, different food, different everything. If you're having a hard time doing it here, it's not going to get any easier. It's going to be much more challenging. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, Who has despised the days of small things? I just met too many that have despised the days of small things or the months of small things or the years of small things. And I would just say in one sense that there's really no small thing when it comes to the things of God. I know there's proportionate, but, and then there's times when we have less and then we have more. I, I get that. But anything you do for God matters. It's a seed planted of righteousness. It, it matters. If you're unfaithful right now, if you cannot be faithful now, don't expect God to bring more responsibilities into your life. And it happens in the church all the time. Commitments will be made, people don't show up. They'll sign on the dotted line where we have this event, we need these 10 people and three people show up. I just know for those that don't show up, those that aren't faithful, man, God's going to be working on you. We're not going to chase you down, but we're going to pray for you because it's going to be hard when you are not faithful. And when I'm not faithful, it's going to be hard. God uses the faithful. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of Second Kings on Abounding Grace. He'll be right back. His message today is called God Uses the Usable. And you can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, or wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Calvary Aurora. What is the key that unlocks God's blessings? In a word, grace. That's the emphasis in Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything. In it, he explores the mystery of grace and reveals why we can never grow in grace by our own efforts. It comes from the Lord. We'd like to send you a copy of Why Grace Changes Everything for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on this station and others like it. Call 877-30-GRACE 
or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our mailing address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Let's return to Pastor Ed for the rest of today's message. Number seven, God uses the person that's available. Available. As the church went looking for help, one of the men that they found was Stephen. And one, another was Philip and Nicanor. They were available. It's easy to want to serve the Lord, but in order to serve God, you need to make yourself available to him. You need to be available. Like, like Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. It can't be, well, you know, God, I'll just give you whatever I have and, you know, I'll serve when I... But if you make yourself available, then you'll have more than you can possibly have in serving people. When you make yourself available to the Lord. Number eight, we also need to be teachable. Teachable. In order to teach, you need to learn how to be taught in a variety of different ways, not just in Bible study, but... You need to be learned how to taught by life's experiences. You need to learn how to be taught by, by putting in situations that require love and surrender. In Psalm 25, verse 4, it says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Make yourself available and be teachable. A good reminder as we close. Tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we'll learn that it's important to finish well as Pastor Ed Taylor returns to 2 Kings. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 